Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of Course in Miracles original edition, published by our very fine friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, or if you mouse the link at top for online edition, you'll have a drop-down menu that features read A-C-I-M-O-E. Also, at the bottom of that drop-down menu is an option to subscribe to have both the daily text reading that we share with each other this morning and every day, along with the lessons that is sent to your email from the Course in Miracles Society. My name is Lori Cameron. This calls Monday through Friday uh, from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. Eastern. And today we continue our reading of Chapter 4, The Root of All Evil, with Section 3 the ego and false autonomy. We're also mindful of our lesson today, Lesson 39. My holiness is my salvation. My holiness is my salvation. And I was directed this morning to a lovely book uh, called Book of the Heart by Meister Eckhart. Meditations for a Restless Soul for this beautiful poem this beautiful poem of the heart I think it's called The Yes of Your Word The Yes of Your Word let me learn to weave of the threads of my life of fabric soft and warm and colorful enough to wrap me with love as I long to be and let me find the courage to know that who I am gives life to the always now and ever here of love and let me believe that it is enough to let the yes of your word rise to bursting life in me Let me believe that it is enough to let the yes of your word rise to bursting life in me. My holiness is my salvation. Amen. Oh, beautiful, Lori. Thank you. Thank this you, Lori. Stunner, wasn't it, friend? <laughs> no, I'm glad you liked it. It's it's uh, it's amazing how how these various works arrive on my desk, but I'm so grateful I can share them with you guys. So uh, here's our reading list this morning. We have Lemoyne, Fran, Judy, Diana, and Karen. We're joined in listening this morning by Bryce and Robin Marie. Um, who else has joined? Would like to say good morning. We're on the reading list. Hi, it's Hi. Jessica, Hi. and I can read. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you. Hi, good morning, Lori. It's Lana. Um, I may be able to read later on, but there's too much going on right now, <laughs> so I'll listen for okay. now. Okay, dear. Thank you. And who else did I hear in there? Is that you, Wendy? Wendy? Yep, I'm here. Yay. Uh, but I'll be listening. Thank you. All right. Glad you're here. We're happy, 
happy, happy to have everyone reading or listening matters not at all. So here we go. <clears throat> I haven't missed anyone. In chapter four, the root of all evil, section three, the ego and false autonomy. <clears throat> it's a very long discussion with our with our giver of with our giver of this course. Starting out with paragraph twenty four, you have asked lately how the mind could ever have made the ego. This is a perfectly reasonable question. In fact, the best question you could ask. There is, however, no point in giving an historical answer because the past does not matter in human terms and history would not exist if the same errors were not being repeated in the present. Abstract thought applies to knowledge because knowledge is completely impersonal and Examples are irrelevant to its understanding. Perception, however, is always specific and therefore quite concrete. Oh my. Okay. Chapter 4, The Root of All Evil. Section 3, The Ego and False Autonomy. You have asked lately how the mind could ever have made the ego. This is a perfectly reasonable question. In fact, the best question you could ask. There is, however, no point in giving an historical answer because the past does not matter in human terms and history would not exist if the same errors were not being repeated in the present. Abstract thought applies to knowledge because knowledge is completely impersonal and examples are irrelevant to its understanding. Perception, however, is always specific and therefore quite concrete. Each man makes one ego for himself, although it is subject to enormous variation excuse me, because of its instability, and one for everyone he perceives, which is equally variable. Their interaction is a process which literally alters both because they were not made either by or with the unalterable. It is particularly important to realize that this alteration can and does occur as readily when the interaction takes place in the mind as when it involves physical presence. Thinking about another ego is as effective in changing relative perception as is physical interaction. There could be no better example of the fact that the ego is an idea though not a reality-based thought. Thank you, Lemoyne and Fran. 25. Each man makes one ego for himself, 
although it is subject to enormous variation because of its instability, and one for everyone he perceives, which is equally variable. Their interaction is a process which literally alters both because they were not made either by or with the unalterable. It is particularly important to realize that this alteration can and does occur as readily when the interaction takes place in the mind as when it involves physical presence. Thinking about another ego is as effective in changing relative perception as is physical, physical interaction. There could be no better example of the fact that the ego is an idea and not a reality-based thought. 26. Your own present state is a good example of how the mind made the ego. You do have knowledge at times, but when you throw it away, it is as if you never had it. This multiness is so apparent that one need only perceive it to see that it does happen. If it can occur that way in the present, why is it surprising that it occurred that way in the past? Psychology rests on the principle of the continuity of behavior. Surprise is a reasonable response to the unfamiliar, but hardly to something that has occurred with such persistence. I am using your present state as an example of how the mind can work, provided you fully recognize that it need not work that way. Why are you surprised that something happened in the dim past when it is so clearly happening right now? Thank you, Fran and Judy. Here I am. Your own present state is a good example of how the mind made the ego. You do have knowledge at times, but when you throw it away, it is as if you never had it. This willfulness, this willfulness is so apparent that one need only perceive it to see that it does happen. If it can occur that way, in the present, why is it surprising that it occurred that way in the past? Psychology rests on the principle of the continuity of behavior. Surprise is a reasonable response to the unfamiliar, but hardly to something that has occurred with such persistence. I am using your present state as an example of how the mind can work, provided you fully recognize that it need not work that way. Why are you surprised that something happened in the dim past when it is so clearly happening right now? <laughs> you forget the love that animals have for their own offspring and, need, and the need they feel to protect them. This is because they regard them as part of themselves. No one disowns something he regards as a very real part of himself. Man reacts to his ego much as God does to his souls with love, protection, and great charity. The reaction of man to the self he made 
is not at all surprising. It, in fact, in fact, it duplicates in many ways how he will one day react to his real creations, which are as timeless as he is. The question is not how man responds to his ego, but what he believes he is. Thank you, Judy. And Diana. Twenty-seven. You forget the love that animals have for their own offspring and the need to feel to protect them. This is because they regard them as part of themselves. No one disowns something he regards as a very real part of himself. God reacts to, oh, excuse me, man reacts to his ego much as God does to his soul with love, protection, and great charity. The reaction of man to the self he made is not at all surprising. In fact, it duplicates in many ways how he will one day react to his real creations, which are as timeless as he is. The question is not how man responds to his ego, but what he believes he is. 28. Belief that the ego foundation and as long as your origin is open to belief at all, you are regarding it from an ego viewpoint. That is why the Bible quotes me as saying, quote, he believe in God Believe also in me, unquote. Belief does apply to me because I am the teacher of the ego. When teaching is no longer necessary, you will merely know God. Belief that there is another way is the loftiest idea of which ego thinking is capable. That is because it contains a hint of recollection Um, recognition that the ego is not the self. Undermining the ego's thought system must be perceived as painful, even though this is anything but true. Babies scream in rage if you take away a knife or a scissors, even though they may well harm themselves if you do not. The speed up has placed you in the same position. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Diana. Uh, and Karen? 28. Belief is an ego function. And as long as your origin is open to belief at all, you are regarding it from an ego viewpoint. That is why the Bible quotes me as saying, quote, ye believe in God, believe also in me, unquote. Belief does apply to me because I am the teacher of the ego. 
When teaching is no longer necessary, you will merely know God. Belief that there is another way is the loftiest idea of which ego thinking is capable. That is because it contains a hint of recognition that the ego is not the self. Undermining the ego's thought system must be perceived as painful, even though this is anything but true. Babies scream in rage if you take away a knife or a pair of scissors, even though they may well harm themselves if you do not. The speed up has placed you in the same position. 29. You are not prepared, and in this sense, you are babies. You have no sense of real self-preservation and are very likely to decide that you need precisely what would hurt you most. Whether you know it now or not, however, you have willed to cooperate in a concerted and very commendable effort to become both harmless and helpful. Two attributes which must go together. Your attitudes even toward this are necessarily conflicted because all attitudes are ego-based. This will not last. Be patient a while and remember that the outcome is as certain as God. Oh, yes. Thank you, Karen. And Jessica. Hi. Um, I just need you to uh, just remind me where we are because I had to answer the door. Of course. It's 29 and 30, Jessica. All right. Right where I am. Okay. 29. You are not prepared, and in this sense, you are babies. You have no sense of real self-preservation and are very likely to decide that you need precisely what would hurt you most. Whether you know it or not, however, you have willed to cooperate, I mean cooperate in a concerted way, I mean, in a, I'm sorry, in a concerted and very commendable effort to become both harmless and helpful. Two attributes which must go together. Your attitudes, even toward this, are necessarily conflicted because all attitudes are ego-based. This will not last. Be patient a while and remember that the outcome is as certain as God. 30. Only those who have a real and lasting sense of abundance can be truly charitable. This is quite obvious when you consider the concepts involved. To the ego, to give anything implies that you will do without it. When you associate giving with sacrifice, then you give only because you believe that you are somehow getting something better so that you can do without the thing you give. Quote, giving to get is an inescapable law of the ego, 
which always evaluates itself in relation to other egos and is therefore continually preoccupied with the scarcity principle which gave rise to it. This is the meaning of Freud's, quote, reality principle, since Freud thought of the ego as very weak and deprived, capable of functioning only as a thing in need. Thank you, Jessica. And would we have a new reader for 30 and 31? This is Sandra. I'm up for it. Oh. All right. Go ahead. Uh, Sandra, then then Robin Marie. Thank you. Um, Robin Marie, is there a time crunch with you? Do you want to go first? No, I, 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 I get uh, out of my car at 7.30 to go to work, so no time okay. crunch. Okay. Only those who have a real and lasting sense of abundance can be truly charitable. This is quite obvious when you consider the concepts involved. To the ego, to give anything implies that you will do without it. When you associate giving with sacrifice, then you give only because you believe that you are somehow getting something better so that you can do without the thing you give. Giving to get is an inescapable law of the ego, which always evaluates itself in relation to other egos and is therefore continually preoccupied with the scarcity principle which gave rise to it. This is the meaning of Freud's reality principle, since Freud's thought of the ego as very weak and deprived, capable of functioning only as a thing in need. 31. The reality principle of the ego is not real at all. The ego is forced to perceive the reality, in quotes, of other egos because it cannot establish the reality of itself. In fact, its whole perception of other egos as real is only an attempt to convince itself that it is real. Self-esteem, in quotes, in ego terms, means nothing more than the ego has deluded itself into accepting its reality and is therefore temporarily less predatory. This, quote, self-esteem is always vulnerable to stress a term which actually refers to a condition in which the delusion of the ego's reality is threatened. This produces either ego deflation or ego inflation, resulting in either withdrawal or attack. Thank you, Sandra. Um, And Robin Marie. The reality principle, unquote, of the ego is not real at all. The ego is forced to perceive the, quote, reality, unquote, of other egos because it cannot establish the reality of itself. In fact, its whole perception of other egos as real is only an attempt 
to convince itself that it is real. Quote, self-esteem, unquote, in ego terms means nothing more than that the ego has deluded itself into accepting its reality and is therefore temporarily less predatory. This, quote, self-esteem, unquote, is always vulnerable to stress, a term which actually reflects to a condition in which the delusion of the ego's reality is threatened. This produces either ego deflation or ego inflation, resulting in either withdrawal or attack. 32. The ego literally lives by comparisons. This means that equality is beyond its grasp and charity becomes impossible. The ego never gives out of abundance because it was made as a substitute for it. That is why the concept of, quote, getting, unquote, arose in the ego's thought system. All appetites are, quote, getting, unquote, mechanisms representing the ego's need to confirm itself. This is as true of bodily appetites as it is of the so-called, quote, higher, unquote, ego needs. Bodily appetites are not physical in origin. The ego regards the body as its home and does try to satisfy itself through the body. But the idea that this is possible is the decision of the ego, which is completely confused about what is really possible. This accounts for its erratic nature. Thank you, Robin Marie. Um, and would there be a new reader for 32 and 33? Okay, back to you, Lemoyne. The ego literally lives by comparisons. This means that equality is beyond its grasp and charity becomes impossible. The ego never gives out of abundance because it was made as a substitute for it. That is why the concept of, quote, getting arose in the ego's thought system. All appetites... (coughs) Excuse me. All appetites are quote-unquote getting mechanisms representing the ego's need to confirm itself. This is as true of bodily appetites as it is of the so-called quote-unquote higher ego needs. Bodily appetites are not physical in origin. The ego regards the body as its home and does try to satisfy itself through the body, but the idea that this is possible is the decision of the ego, which is completely confused about what is really possible. This accounts for its erratic nature. The ego believes it is completely on its own, which is merely another way of describing how it originated. This is such a fearful state that it can only turn to other egos and try to unite with them in a feeble attempt at identification or attack them 
in an equally feeble show of strength. It is not free, however, to consider the validity of the premise itself, because this premise is its foundation. The ego is the belief of the mind that it is completely on its own. Its ceaseless attempts to gain the soul's acknowledgement and thus to establish its own existence are utterly useless. Thank you, Lemoyne and Fran. 33. The ego believes it is completely on its own, which is merely another way of describing how it originated. This is such a fearful state that it can only turn to other egos and try to unite with them in the feeble attempt at identification or attack them in the equally feeble show of strength. It is not free, however, to consider the validity of the premise itself because this premise is its foundation. The ego is the belief of the mind that it is completely on its own. It ceaseless attempts to gain the soul's acknowledgement unless to establish its own existence are utterly useless. 34. The soul and its knowledge is unaware of the ego. It does not attack it. It really cannot conceive of it at all. While the ego is equally unaware of the soul, it does perceive itself as rejected by, quote-unquote, something which is greater than itself. This is why self-esteem in ego terms must be a delusion. The creations of God do not create myths, although the creative efforts of man can turn to mythology. It can do so, however, only under one condition. What man then makes is no longer creative. Myths are entirely perceptions and are so ambiguous in form and so characteristically good and evil in nature that the most benevolent of them is not without fearful components if only by an ennu. Thank you, Fran. Um, and Judy. Great stuff. Here we go. The soul in its knowledge is unaware of the ego. It does not attack it. It merely cannot conceive of it at all. I love this. It's one of my favorite lines. While the ego is equally unaware of the soul, it does perceive itself as rejected by, quote, something, unquote, which is greater than itself. This is why self-esteem, in ego terms, must be a delusion. The creations of God do not create myths, although the creative efforts of man can turn to mythology. It can do so, however, only under one condition. What man then makes is no longer creative. Myths are entirely perceptions and are so ambiguous in form and so characteristically good and evil in nature that the most benevolent of them is not without fearful components, if only by innuendo. 
Myths and magic are closely associated, and that myths are usually related to the ego origins and magic to the powers which the ego ascribes to itself. Every mythological system includes some account of, quote, the creation, unquote, and associates this with its particular perception of magic. The, quote, battle for survival, unquote, is nothing more than the ego's struggle to preserve itself and its interpretation of its own beginning. This beginning is always associated with physical birth because no one maintains that the ego existed before that point in time. The religiously ego-oriented believe that the soul, capital soul, existed before and will continue to exist afterwards after after a temporary lapse in ego life. Some actually believe that the capital soul will be punished for this lapse, even though in reality it could not possibly know anything about it, even though in reality it could not possibly know anything about it. That's a very strong statement. Thank you, I'm complete. (laughs) Thank you, Judy. Um, And Diana. 35. Myth and magic are closely associated in the myths that are usually related to the ego origins and magic to the powers which the ego ascribes to itself. Even mythological systems include some account of, quote, the creation, unquote, and associates this with its particular perception of magic. The, quote, battle for survival, unquote, is nothing more than the ego's struggle to preserve itself and its interpretation of its own beginning. The beginning is always associated with a physical birth because no one maintains that the ego existed before that point in time. The religiously ego-oriented believe that the capital as soul existed before and will continue to exist afterwards, after a temporary lapse in ego life. Some actually believe that the soul will be punished for this lapse, even though in reality it could not possibly know anything about it. 36. The term, quote, salvation, unquote, does not apply to the soul, which is not in danger and does not need to be salvaged. Salvation is nothing more than, quote, right-mindedness, unquote, which is not the one-mindedness of the soul, but which must be accomplished before one-mindedness can be restored. Right-mindedness dictates the next up automatically because right perception is uniformly without attack. So the wrong-minded is obliterated 
The ego cannot survive without judgment and is laid aside accordingly. The mind then has only one direction in which it can move. The direction which the mind will take is always automatic because it cannot but be directed by the thought system to which the mind adheres. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. And Karen. 36. <clears throat> the term, quote, salvation, unquote, does not apply to the soul, which is not in danger and does not need to be salvaged. Salvation is nothing more than, quote, right-mindedness, unquote, which is not the one-mindedness of the soul, but which must be accomplished before the one-mindedness can be restored. Right-mindedness dictates the next step automatically because right perception is uniformly without attack so that wrong-mindedness is obliterated. The ego cannot survive without judgment and is laid aside accordingly. The mind then has only one direction in which it can move. The direction which the mind will take is always automatic because it cannot but be dictated by the thought system to which the mind adheres. 37. Every thought system has internal consistency, and this provides the basis for the continuity of behavior. However, this is a matter of reliability and not validity. Quote, reliable behavior, unquote, is a meaningful perception as far as ego thinking goes. However, quote, valid behavior, unquote, is an expression which is inherently contradictory because validity is an end and behavior is a means. These cannot be combined logically because when an end has been attained, the means for its attainment are no longer meaningful. Thank you, Karen. And Jessica. Um, 37. Every thought system has internal consistency, and this provides the basis for the continuity of behavior. However, this is a matter of reliability and not validity. Quote, reliable behavior, unquote, is a meaningful perception as far as ego thinking goes. However, quote, valid behavior, unquote, is an expression which is inherently contradictory because valid, validity is an end and behavior is a means. These cannot be combined logically because an end has been attained. The means for its attainment are no longer meaningful. When an end has been attained, the means for its attainment are no longer meaningful. 38. A hypothesis is either false or true, be accepted or rejected accordingly. If it is shown to be true, it becomes a fact, after which no one attempts 
to evaluate it unless its status as fact is questioned. Every idea to which the ego has accorded the status of fact is questionable because facts are in the realm of knowledge. Thank you, Jessica. Uh, and Sandra? 38. A hypothesis is either false or true to be accepted or rejected accordingly. If it is shown to be true, it becomes a fact, after which no one attempts to evaluate it unless its status as fact is questioned. Every idea to which the ego has accorded the status of fact is questionable because facts are in the realm of knowledge. 39. Confusing realms of discourse is a thinking error which philosophers have recognized for centuries. Psychologists are, free, are generally quite deficient in this respect, as are many theologians. Data from one realm of discourse do not mean anything in another, because they can be understood only within the thought system of which they are a part. That is why psychologists are concentrating increasingly on the ego in an attempt to unify their clearly unrelated data. It need hardly be said that an attempt to relate the unrelated cannot succeed. Thank you, Sandra. Uh, and Robin Marie. Thirty-nine. Confusing realms of discourse is a thinking error which philosophers have recognized for centuries. Psychologists are generally quite deficient in this respect, as are many theologians. Data from one realm of discourse do not mean anything in another because they can be understood only within the thought system of which they are a part. That is why psychologists are concentrating increasingly on the ego in an attempt to unify their clearly unrelated data. It need hardly be said that an attempt to relate the unrelated cannot succeed. 40. The more recent ecological emphases are but another ingenious way of trying to impose order on chaos. We have already credited the ego with considerable ingenuity, though not with creative creativeness. It should, however, be remembered that inventiveness is really wasted effort, even in its most ingenious forms. We do not have to explain anything. This is why we need not trouble ourselves with inventiveness. The highly specific nature of invention is not worthy of the abstract creativity of God's creations. Thank you, Robin Marie. And is there a new reader to finish today with paragraph 40? I can read now, Laurie. Thank you, Lana. 40. 
uh, the more recent ecological emphasis are but another ingenious way of trying to impose order on chaos. We have already credited the ego with considerable ingenuity, though not with creativeness. It should, however, be remembered that inventiveness is really wasted effort, even in its most ingenious forms. We do not have to explain anything. This is why we need not trouble ourselves with inventiveness. The highly specific nature of invention is not worthy of the abstract creativity of God's creations. Thank you, Lana. And thank you, everyone, who read this this morning. Um, I just want to... I want to put a punctuation mark on the term salvation does not apply to the soul in paragraph 36 which does not need to be salvaged salvation is nothing more than right-mindedness which is not the one-mindedness of the soul but which must be accomplished before one-mindedness can be restored right-mindedness dictates the next step automatically because right perception is uniformly without attack so that wrong-mindedness is obliterated the ego cannot survive without judgment and is laid aside accordingly the mind then has only one direction in which it can move the direction which the mind will take is always automatic because it cannot but be dictated by the thought system to which the mind adheres and to that end we have our lesson today Lesson 39, my holiness is my salvation. So, Fran, uh, please accept our gratitude while you lead us again this morning in our meditation. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Lori. Hi, everybody. We are in the first part of the workbook, and today's lesson is Lesson 39. My holiness is my salvation. <clears throat> so I shall read the lesson, and then we will go and do our five-minute practice based on the lesson okay my holiness is my salvation if guilt is hell what is its opposite like the text for which this workbook was written the ideas which are used for the exercises are very simple very clear and totally unambiguous we are not concerned with intellectual feats nor logical toys we're dealing only in the very obvious, which has been overlooked in the clouds of complexity in which you think you think. If guilt is hell, what is its opposite? This is not difficult, surely. The hesitation you may feel in answering <clears throat> excuse me, is not due to the ambiguity of the question. But do you believe that guilt is hell? If you did, you would see at once how direct and simple the text is, and you would not need a workbook at all. No one needs practice to gain what is already his. We have already said that your holiness is the salvation of the world. What about your own salvation? You cannot give what you do not have. A savior must be saved. How else can he teach salvation? 
Today's exercises will surely will apply to you alone, recognizing that your salvation is crucial to the salvation of the world. As you apply the exercises to your own world, the whole world stands to benefit. Your holiness is the answer to every question that was ever asked, is being asked now, or will be asked in the future. Your holiness means the end of guilt, and therefore the end of hell. Your holiness is the salvation of the world and your own. How could you, to whom your holiness belongs, be excluded from it? God does not know unholiness. Can it be he does not know his son? A full five minutes are urged for the four longer practice periods for today. Longer and more frequent practice sessions are encouraged. If you want to exceed the minimum requirements, more rather than longer sessions are recommended, although both are encouraged. Begin the practice periods as usual by repeating today's idea to yourself. Then with closed eyes, search out your unloving thoughts in whatever form they appear. Uneasiness, depression, anger, fear, worry, <clears throat> attack, insecurity, and so on. Whatever form they take, they are unloving and therefore fearful. And so it is from them that you need to be saved. Specific situations, events, or personalities you associate with, unloving thoughts of any kind, are suitable subjects for today's exercises. It is imperative for your own salvation that you see them differently. And it is your blessing on them that will save you and give you vision. Slowly, without constant selection, and without undue emphasis on anyone in particular, search your mind for every thought that stands between you and your salvation. Apply the idea for today to each one of them in this way. My loving thoughts about blank are keeping me in hell. My holiness is my salvation. You may find these sessions easier if you intersperse the applications with several short periods during which you merely repeat today's idea to yourself slowly a few times. You may also find it helpful to include a few short intervals in which you just relax and do not seem to be thinking of anything. Sustained concentration is very difficult at first. It will become much easier as your mind becomes more disciplined and less distractible. Meanwhile, you should feel free to introduce variety into your practice periods in whatever form appeals to you. Do not, however, change the idea itself in varying the method of applying it. However you elect to use it, the idea should be stated so that its meaning remains that your holiness is your salvation. And each practice period by repeating the idea in its original form once more and adding, if guilt is hell, what is its opposite? In the shorter applications, which should be made some three or four times an hour and more if possible, you may ask yourself this question. Both if temptations arise, a particularly helpful form of the idea is, 
My holiness is my salvation from this. Lesson 39, my holiness is my salvation. Five minutes.
Now I'll read the paragraph from the review of Lesson 39. My holiness is my salvation. Since my holiness saves me from all guilt, recognizing my holiness is recognizing my salvation. It is also recognizing the salvation of the world. Once I have accepted my holiness, nothing can make me afraid. And because I am unafraid, everyone must share my understanding, which is the gift of God to me and to the world. Lesson 39, my holiness is my salvation. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, friend. Beautiful. Thank you, Fran. Thanks, Fran. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Fran. Thank you, Fran. I love when he tells us in the review, once I have accepted my holiness, nothing can make me afraid. That's such a promise. I love it. I'm complete. Oh, me too, friend. Thank you. Makes you feel good just to say it out loud, doesn't it? <laughs> Thank you, friend. Yes, definitely. How many references of you think you think are in the Course of Miracles? <laughs> That's hilarious. That is, Thoughts you yeah. think you think? <laughs> You think? (laughs) You're not who you think you are. (laughs) Oh, I have a big question that I'm—I've always been a little confused about. On page 63 in the lesson, on paragraph 35, it's talking about the ego. The question is, well, it says the battle for survival um, is nothing more than the ego's struggle to preserve itself and its interpretation of its own beginning. The beginning is always associated with the physical birth because no one maintains that the ego existed before that point in time. Are they saying here that the ego was born when we were born and it dies when we die? That it's just a temporary existence before it continues itself in another human being? Can, can, that, can you give me some explanation, please, on that, on that? Thank you. I'm complete. Oh, sure. Sure, Diana. It's, um, what he's saying there is that... Um, Ego identity, um, this thing I think I am before, before um, my mind is healed, this thing I think I am, is a story. It's an invention. 
it's um, myth is a good word for it myth being um, a story an imagined um, an imagined context here's this life this life I think I have what is it because I don't know I have an imagined story oh yeah well my story began this thing I think I am when I was born I don't <laughs> I don't seem to have an existence before I was born not knowing what I am um, and and magic what he's talking about is the abilities that I give myself in my story I give myself the ability to set goals and uh, determine what's the truth for me and um, what's the truth for you and uh, I can invent a story for you and I can invent a story for me and because of the story I can um, go my merry way rejoicing essentially <laughs> uh, it's all an invention contrast that with um, and I, you know I'm glad you brought this up because this is what I was given to talk about today um, contrast that with a different thing contrast that invention or story with given reality as God sees it contrast that story with truth as God knows it contrast that story with holiness which is uh, something I can only imagine as a separate being um, there are so many uh, different <laughs> so many different studies of uh, ego psychology the imagined story what is the um, what is the context of this story it's always context dependent uh, changes all the time um, a good example would be the ego considers itself at times a mother at times a teacher at times a wife at times uh, a dog owner at times um, a helper <laughs> you know there's it's always context dependent the doing is part of the story um, what he wants me to understand is that I can have direct experience I can know truth I can have direct experience of what I truly am I can have direct experience of the truth of me as I was created I can have direct experience of the holiness the um, oneness of my creation with my creator I can know all of that <clears throat> contrast with I can have <clears throat> excuse me ideas about opinions about information about um, myths about <laughs> um, ideas about my abilities all by myself only one of those realms is real only one of those realms is given me in my creation 
only one of those realms is true regardless of anything that seems to be happening to me or my body only one of those is unchangeable and eternal as it was in the beginning and will forever be and the one that is the truth is my true inheritance if it's not the truth of me then it's not true that's a pretty good uh, overview of uh, the two different thought systems ego thought system you know the way it was helpful to me uh, was to think of it like a third grader a third grader is told there's always a who what when where why and how to a story in the ego thought system the who what where when why and how changes all the time depending upon what seems to be happening what interactions seem to be occurring and what might seem to be uh, the future in the thought system of truth the who what where when why and how are always just simply love independent of context or change or situation um, or anything that seems to be happening it always boils down to truth and love and so this Course in Miracles is um, and especially the workbook lessons are designed to lead me to direct unmediated experience which is the difference between perceiving I can kind of fill in the details by what I think is going on that's perception or I can have a direct unmediated experience of truth and when I do the lessons uh, like this one especially this one is so excellent for that he asked me to find my unloving thoughts if they're unloving then they're not true he asked me to look at these unloving thoughts that I've placed in my mind between me and my given holiness and when I identify that unloving thought for example um, one that came to me today is my fear thought about my hip is an unloving thought my salvation from that is to release that thought and recognize my holiness is my salvation and when I do that with all the unloving thoughts that occur in my mind I experience this direct unmediated nobody's telling me this I have it in my mind I experience the direct shift into the truth of my holiness where is my fear thought about my hip now you know and and so these direct unmediated shifts into truth are how we remember that we are created by love as love for love love eternally unchangeable regardless of situation or circumstance I know who I am and uh, 
and that I'm so glad you asked the question because that's kind of what I was given to talk about today. Thank you very much. I'm complete. Thank you, Lori. Oh, that was great. Thank you so much, Lori. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for going over like that. That was really helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is Lemoyne. I'd like to try a little more direct answer to your question about, you know, where does... Is the ego um, created at birth? And I think the point here is it's not a creation. It's something we made. Um, And, uh, you know, in 33, the ego is the belief of the mind that it's completely on its own. And... um, you know, uh, in in reaching that, just that's a decision about uh, that takes the form of a belief. That the support, you know, to enter into that decision is to believe it that we're on our own and. It is, I think, in the looking for the cause that it gets pushed to birth, right? And then this this kind of cements the upside-down nature of that the belief in the mind is determined by physical form. And... And not the other way around, that everything is first an idea and, uh, you know, I, I think, I think the, uh, that the, if you will, quote unquote, birth of the ego is in the, is in the decision to believe that we're separate and alone, where, you know, wherever that whenever that happens and then after that you know evidence is accrued and and it seems to function you know whether it's a a very positive or negative experience you know people notice and they support that decision other people and and it is the way it is a common misperception if you will of the what the mind is and and therefore who we are to believe that we're completely alone i i know for myself that that decision was reached and i convinced myself thoroughly but it was as a result of interaction with other beings in which i was not alone so, I mean, it is a self-contradictory thought that um, appears to describe ourselves. I think it's the root of all of our, all of our, I mean, the idea that we're on our own and we have to decide who we are is the thing of being our own teacher, of being our own creator, 
it becomes the focal point of the authority problem to believe that we're completely on our own. And, you know, to look for a specific thing as cause outside the mind is, again, more of that upside-down thinking because it is a choice in the mind um, in terms of what we believe reality is and what we believe we are that gives rise to the whole complex of upside-down thinking and ego thought. Thank you, Lemoyne. That was so great. Yeah, good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you so much. Uh, good, mm-hmm. good morning. It's Lana. I'm, I um, I, I had to, want to say maybe Robin Marie has to go to work, and we haven't had her on the call in a long time. Are you still here? Anyway, just a thought. I think yeah, she it's, she left a few minutes ago. Lemoyne, that was excellent. Thank you so much. Go ahead, Lana. Thank you. Um, well, like I was saying, I, I had to read the call, so I didn't hear the question. But from what I did hear of Laurie and Lemoyne's response, um, it triggered something within me, something good, something lovely. Um, and I don't know, my earliest memory, and don't ask me how... I've carried this around for 70-some years, but I remember it vividly. You know, it, it's one of those memories that just stay with you. But I was, I was, I couldn't have been more than three, two or three. I was standing under the kitchen table, you know, just watching all the adult legs go by. And I had this thought, and uh, this is what um, is so uh, amazing the thought was, what am I doing here? And it wasn't about being under the table. It was about what was I doing here? You know, it was like a moment of total amnesia about who I was or why I was here or anything. And and just like Lemoyne was saying, it, it, it was like I just walked out from under the table and into the dream. You know, I found out my name was Lana. I had parents named Harry and Margie. I lived in this big house with my grandparents and my parents and my uncle and my older brother. And um, it just became who I was. I don't even remember it being a choice. It was just a matter of fact as I saw it and experienced it. And, you know, I just went with it, you know. You know, okay, I'm Lana, you know, but, and it wasn't until I came across, um, you know, A Course in Miracles some 40 years ago when I really would, I would really start looking deeply into that memory and recognize what actually was happening. And um, it was just the moment where I decided to, at some level, to pick up on this identity called Lana and merge with it and go with it. So anyhow, that just uh, brought that to mind, and I thought I'd share it. Thank you for listening. 
Thank you, Lana. That was just so clear. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think when we are born, we do take on that body identity, and we become that because that's what we're taught, and that's what we, and that's what we think we are. You know, and thank God that there's a course in miracles, and it found its way to each of us at a time that we can unravel and try and discern and come into a better understanding of how to live. You know, grateful for this and all of you. I'm complete. Hi. Thank you, Lana. Thanks, I love Diana. your... Um, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I wanted to thank Lana. That was sweet, you know, because I think we could all imagine ourselves under the table as children. So that was really sweet. Thank you, Diana. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I hold it as a sweet memory, too. Thank you. This is Sandra. And, um, boy, this, um, whoops, this lesson was, uh, I, I felt like it was really outing the ego. And it was a little uncomfortable because it was like, wow, <laughs> I'm having bad thoughts, you know, about uh, people who I think have thrown me under the bus or people who don't respect me or whatever. And I mean, that, that happens. It just happens. It's part, it's part, of, it's part of being on this planet. And... Um, you know, the, the previous lesson, there is nothing my holiness cannot do. And now, this lesson, um, it's telling me that, you know, I ask myself, what is, what is my holiness? What makes me holy and not an ego? And I do think that we are born with an ego, and I think the ego gets a bad rap because the function of the ego is to, is to protect the body. That's it. It's just to protect the body from, from you know, you know if, there's, if, if you don't have enough water, you've got to go get water. If you go near the fire, you're going to burn yourself because the body is vulnerable. But the problem is, is that we forgot something. We forgot that our identity is not the body. It's just... It's just a communication device. It's just a vehicle to extend the truth of who we are, which is spirit. And we are the spirit of love. And, you know, and unless, if, if I remember that I'm the spirit of love and then I let love train the ego so that it will, it will not uh, extend judgment in order to protect itself because that the ego has no business judging and it, it got a little confused because it thought it had to protect itself and it also thought that the only way to do that was to judge everything and, and therefore be in control. At least that's how my ego was. And I, and I just have to, you know, what is my holiness? My holiness is my ability to forgive. That's what makes me holy is that I have an ability to forgive. Now, am I willing to forgive? That's a whole other story. Am I ready to forgive or am I going to hold on to the past? And that's another thing that I saw in this 
lesson and in the reading is that I really have to be in the present moment, in my true identity, which is not my ego, in order for me to to be willing to make the decision, the power of decision, to forgive. And it has it usually has to begin with me. I have to forgive myself because because I'm letting the ego control it be in control instead of choosing my my right identity, which is which is the divine. I am I am divine. I am not an ego. I am the mind of God if I choose to be. You know, my will determines my perception of how I see the world. Do I see the world as innocent or am I judging and condemning the world? And I'm doing both. <laughs> so it's just it's just to notice and forgive myself and let it pass through. Um I'm beginning to appreciate the suffering and I realize that the suffering is my choice. I don't have to. Um, but right now it's just part of the, the healing process and so I'm beginning to just embrace it and, and accept it and know that my forgiveness of me making these choices to suffer is my salvation. I'm complete. Oh, girl. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank Excellent. you, Sandra. Thank you. Loved. Good morning, oh. it's Karen. Hi. After you. No, you go first, Judy, and then I'll go after you. Thank you. Well, I, can you stay with us for a while? Because you know how long I like to talk. <laughs> go ahead, Karen. I'll let you go first. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Um. Yesterday's lesson, my holiness, uh, about my holiness, these four days or five days of holiness. Yesterday I had a breakthrough because um, I really meditated on my worth is established by God, not by my anything I do or think or say, and worthiness, right? My worth, my worthiness, my innocence, and my holiness are all the same thing. We're talking about the same thing. So really meditated on that all night long. And it was like um, uprooting a weed, you know, a really, really tenacious root root system, you know, because um, someone shared on the first call this morning about how in Catholicism, when we take communion, it's... Lord, I am not worthy to receive you. Speak, but the word of my soul shall be healed. It started so early in in my um, in my mind that I wasn't worthy, that I was a sinner, that I was born with original sin. You know, always behind the eight ball before you even start. There's no there's no purity, and um, so I kept working with that. But for me, it was really really important to extend it because I've been having so much trauma with my daughter and I know that her worth, her innocence, her purity, her worthiness is absolute. It was established by God, has nothing to do with this life, this life. And then thinking about this life, you know, this life where we believe we were separate 
and and we've been going along in a false self, in a false reality. And um, to Diana's question, she said something. Um, I actually also, I was there when she asked the question, but I, I think I got what she said because of the answers that other people gave, uh, Lemoyne and Lori. Um, I had this thought, when is the ego born? And before the call, before any calls this morning, I was meditating, praying, and all that. And I had this thought, you know, that that we think that ego thinks, if I commit suicide, I can get out of this hell. Guilt is hell, right? If I commit suicide. And it was like a big laugh in the, I was taking a shower, and there was this big laugh because the reality is the false self will go on to the next life. It'll come back. So when was it born? Who knows? But Jesus is saying in this reading, you know, don't worry about the past. There's enough to worry about in the present. Right now, there's enough to really think about that you don't have to concern yourself about what led up to this. So um, the thing was, okay, how do I get out of this false world, this hell world? Only one way, and that's accepting my holiness. That's the only way. The only way of escaping the hell of the ego is to accept the truth and and continue to reinforce that, continue to believe that, continue to make that my life. Um, anyway, I think I, there was so much more. God is inevitable. You know, God is inevitable. Why not now? Right? Jesus said uh, he would take care of our egos. He would take care of our needs. All night long last night I kept saying, um, I don't have to suffer the tribulation of this world because Jesus has overcome it. I just have to accept the truth. I just have to be strong in the belief system of truth and let go of all the falsehood and fear. And fear, 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 right? Um, Fear thoughts are keeping me in hell. And holiness is my salvation. So it's, it's just alignment to the truth. This holy instant would I give to you, be you in charge. If fear is here, then I just offer the fear. If, you know, drama is, is happening outside of me, I'll go within and just hold Jesus' hand and try to listen to what Holy Spirit wants me to do next. I'm complete. Thank you so much for letting me go first, Judy. It's all yours. Thank you, Karen. It was a wonderful share. I, uh, my Thank my you, mind Karen. is flooded. Does someone else want to go? Because I'm not going anywhere fast. <laughs> well, I, w- I was thanking Karen for um, the rubber meets road approach. Thank you very much. I'm complete. Yes, yes. It's always right here and right now. And um, reiterating what we what came up in, in dialogue yesterday in the after call about present memory. Um, I am as God created me. I am not a body. I am free. I am totally... Um, um, one mind in, in, in the one mind of God, a holy, loving, 
and lovable thought, changeless, immortal, infinite, boundaryless, without form, um, spirit. I am purely mind and spirit, uh, united in a state of grace. This is how God created me. And, um, you know, that's not what the world taught me when I came in. I had some, you know, some thoughts, theological thoughts. I was taught in growing up in the Catholic Church and, you know, that whole idea, that word between, Lori, in your share that, you know, fearful thoughts are what keep, are, are what is in between me and God. That is what separates me from God, that there's no fear in the love of God. It's something that really has been illuminated in me this year, um, a light that shines out for me. And, and you know, the, the whole practicing the lesson, my, my holiness encompasses the world and, and envelops everything I see and the, the shining and the glit, glimmering that, that illuminates from my mind. It, and it's not a... It's totally impersonal, and it's universally applicable to everything I see, equally and evenly distributed without distinction or any lines of form or differences in shapes, sizes, colors, or any any distinctions or differences. And, you know, the light, I am the light that sees. I am the light. God's, uh, God's light sees through my eyes and enables me to know this through vision. Um, this is a very powerful section in the text where, where it speaks of the temporaneous nature of our, our soul, our faceless, formless soul coming into a body and, and trying to adjust to a reality that is not home to us. And I just love this because I'm, I'm learning to come from the other side of it, from the knowledge side, which is completely impersonal. And um, examples are irrelevant to its understanding. Um, as it says in the first paragraph, perception is always specific. So I'm drawn into this perceptual, sensual instrument. The body is an instrument of perception. It has all these senses, sight, seeing through the body's eyes, taste, touch, smell, hearing, listening through the instrument of perception. Now, if I just stop it, my sensorial instrument instrument, and and stop it at my brain, my little itty-bitty brain, and use interpretation and distortion, from a limited sense of what the world has taught me, this is the veil. That's what the veil is. So that's what I'm taking off my eyes. I'm uncoloring the filter. I'm letting go of the filters of beliefs. Now, this, this belief is an ego function. And, you know, the two paragraphs, 25, 26, um, speak of how... Our minds make an ego as a sense of, of self-protection. Um, I've got to, in order as a child to figure out what I am doing here under this table, looking at all these big people, is figure out my place in it. And I mirror 
what the world mirrors to me. And if I'm in a fearful situation growing up, I'm getting fear mirrored back and forth. So right from my get-go, when I was a little itty-bitty baby, I was mirroring fear. The world was a fearful place. And my defenses became imprinted upon me very early at a very early age. And I'm glad that I've come to understand that, too, because they're no different now, today, in the present. They're just a thought. It's a fearful thought. And all i got to do is sit with it for a minute and say, this, is, this isn't true. Just like, Lori, you so beautifully shared, this is not a true thought. This is not what I am. I need not be afraid of this. This is not how God created me to be. I was created changelessly beautiful, changelessly peaceful and joyful, and capable of seeing things lovingly and seeing myself with love and others with love. And um, so that belief is an ego function in paragraph 28 is very, very, came very clear to me today when I did the exercise because what I noticed when I did the exercise and looking at my fearful thoughts and, and sitting with them and contemplating what the thought were, was about, like Lori said she did, this is about my body and this is a belief that I am my body and it, is this belief really true? And then working with the Holy Spirit with my Christ, the Christ in me who's very still and says, you know what? This need not be. This fear need not be. Fear does not exist. You are perfect love. You were created as love itself. And I have to sit with that belief, though, because that's something I believe is true. And the whole idea of this magic thought, and I'm going to try and speed it up because there's so much I want to share about this today, um, where it talks about, where is it, magic thoughts? Magic power, where the story, um, how the soul is in its knowledge. I know I am. When I say those words, I am, I know I exist. I'm a changeless. I am. The I am that I know, that I look in the mirror, since I looked in the mirror when I was a little kid, that knows that I got a haircut, that knows that I'm growing bigger, that knows that I'm... Um, I'm, I'm, my face is changing and, and my clothes are changed and how I feel changes and how my thinking is changing. Anything that I know I am that exists is not a somebody. It's the knower, the knowledge that I am that knows all the temporaneous changes in Judy's body and time and space. That's the sacred words I am. And how it talks about and this, this myth, the story and the myth that the, that the ego tells itself is true about who, who I think I am. I think I am this duty. I think I am this story. It has continuity in time and space, and it keeps working on the past to judge the present in order to, to know how to act. And it talks about this behavioral continuity. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm ascribing 
my sense of rightness in being in the world according to what the world tells me I am or what I think I am in relationship to the world. Now, some of it's all right and some of it can be really cray-cray making. If I believe people are telling me I'm not a good person, if people are hurting me and I'm, 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 I'm lacking, lack, feeling lack and little and belittled and afraid, then th- these are beliefs I'm, I'm, are, that become core beliefs in me, and I have a lack of confidence. And the the, the course here talks about this this self-esteem that the ego builds in its relationship to the body identification the body image in the world and what the world would make of me you know the world I was entitled I was a cute blonde blue-eyed smart white girl and went to good schools and people thought I was I was something because I was that which was a culturally a prescribed um identification for some kind of validation and it talks about this validation and reliability to according to the world's beliefs and these are the beliefs these false assumptions in who we think we are that we give validity to and the test of the validity of that is something that I wanted to refer back to from an earlier reading in the text the test of the validity of the truth the truths of the beliefs that we ascribe to ourselves and whether they're true or false. And doing these lessons are undoing our false beliefs about who we and what we think we are. And this is so important to my understanding. But just on a, a, a funny thought, a funny thought I had about the magic, myth and magic are closely associated in that myths are related to our ego origins and the magic power which the ego ascribes to itself. Now, to me, this speaks directly to um, the belief in magic of self-reliance, of ego reliance, of depending on my egoic thinking to control my reality and make adjustments to it so that I can arrange things to make myself more comfortable arrange people and the scenery and the, the stage and control reality in order to make myself feel more comfortable, which is totally unnecessary. And it's, it's cray-cray making. So that um, it speaks of this in the teacher's manual, this magic thinking um, and beliefs in the worldly thoughts, magic thinking um, that the laws that we're... Um, in bondage to our thoughts are in bondage to worldly beliefs beliefs that we're in a body and this is what imprisons our thinking and limits our thinking and and it's full of deception and self-deceit we're not who we think we are so the undoing of this self-reliance and I'm totally dependent upon God and in my trust in God and my reliance upon God I needn't have a care or concern or a worry in the world. I need not have one fearful thought. I am happy, joyous, and free because I know I'm spirit. I know I'm purely mind, and nothing can touch me, and nothing can hurt me, and nothing I'd say or do or, or think in this world 
really matters a whole hell of a lot because I could be playing a, 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 a pretty blue-eyed, blonde, hard-working nurse, care, caring and, you know, helpful my whole life, thinking I'm somebody. When I'm not a somebody, that's just a role I'm playing on the stage of a pseudo-virtual reality. That's a dream. And this is waking up from the dream, to know that who I am in truth, I am purely mine, transcendental mine, that I am everything. God gave me himself when he gave when he created me, that I am everything and that everything is me. There's nothing that is not me, and everything is lovable because of that. Everything is love. And there is no place where God is not. There is no place where love is not. There is no place where I am not. There is no place where I'm not at home. And that's heaven. That's absolutely being in heaven, being in oneness and wholeness and completion to me and Holy moly, I think I talked way too long today. I'm sorry, I'm complete. <laughs> Just excellent. Thank you, Judy. Yep. Beautifully said, Judy. Thank you. Thanks, Judy. Thank you, Judy. This is Wendy. Um, years ago when I was uh, living in L.A., I, I was going to Reverend Beckwith's church, Agape, and they had a course called Living in the Absolute. And it's about exactly what you just said, Judy. It's, it's, it's living strictly from the truth. And I really appreciated your share. It was so full of wonderful logic. I'm complete. Nice. Thanks, Wendy. Yeah, I agree. This is Sandra, and I just I just want to say that in Rosicrucianism, they say, in the beginning was the memory. And I think we're at that point that when we can remember the truth of who we are, we can truly start to create and create a new heaven and a new earth. Because what's been happening since the beginning of time is because we've been identified with the ego and not with the truth of who we are, we've been miscreating, which is what's brought us to the brink of extinction. <laughs> I'm complete. You know, I watched an interview with Deepak Chopra the other day, and he said, human, human, what did he, what was the expression? He said, human, Human beings, not he didn't use the word beings, but human humans. I'll just leave it at that. Humans is being human is a was is a failed experiment, <laughs> and he laughed out loud <laughs> because he's so absolutely glowing with the truth. He's living in in the consciousness that everything is consciousness. Everything is an idea in the mind of God, and only. Only if we can see that there's nothing to be threatened by, absolutely nothing to be afraid of, that there's no fear in perfect love, that it's, it's an experiment. It's an experiment in its own self-expression, the totality, the multiplicity of its own self-expression, capital self-expression, 
of which I am a part. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. <clears throat> you know, it's kind of it's kind of good to be done mm-hmm. with making it up as we go along, huh? Um, I wanted to call out Lemoyne, if I may, because uh, I know you have I know you have a lot on this, Lemoyne. Well, you know, I have uh, have the experience that I said what needed to be said. That, you know, the ego, it it doesn't really exist. It is the belief that we're separate and alone. When that's not even true... Of, of the body, yeah. I've used the example of uh, we think in breathing we take in fresh air and exhale bad air, and yeah, it's just, it's not good and bad, but I mean it's uh, there is some that's part of the process, but in reality, the gas exchange that's required is constant throughout that whole breathing cycle. Um, it continues as a continuous exchange and that that is what's necessary for the form to continue. But, you know, on the level, <coughs> you know, I've, even even the it says the even levels are a misperception, but once we perceive levels, we have to you know get it straightened out in order to understand how it all works together, I think, or to let the understanding pierce the fog of our unknowing, if you will um and and I think that all that happens from within. That, you know, being is of the more primal order of creation. And uh, that, that does not occur alone. At least, at least for us, as part of creation, having been created. So again, you know, the ego is the belief that we're separate, and uh, and so you know, this is its function is to recreate itself that way, but it's not an actual or real, I mean, it has effects on actions, but only as in as much as we believe in it. And, you know, it is, it is founded on illusion. And, uh, 
That's why the lesson doesn't say anything. You know, it doesn't even ask. It says don't search. Just, you know, let them come. Let these thoughts come and treat them kind of all the same. That these are these are misconceptions and what they hide is that um, our holiness is our salvation. I really like the lesson where he, he erases the need for the whole course. <laughs> and that you think you think appears, I did the search, it appears five times, and this was number four. And it's pretty basic, and he, I think, moves beyond it. Because... <clears throat> You know, some questioning of our certainty is necessary when the certainty is false, but to just continue questioning will not allow the real certainty to arise. Um, and uh, so, and it seems a paradox, but it's not. It's about questioning until we really, we can get to a point of uh, making a more real choice between something like, do I want the problem? Here it's guilt. Do I want guilt? Or do I want the answer? Which is the holiness and the unity behind all creation. Anyway, I'm complete. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Lemoyne. I love your balance. Oh, thanks, thanks Lemoyne. Thank you, Lemoyne. Thanks, Lemoyne. Any final shares? <clears throat> Any final shares before I end this recording? Our gift to the world. Morning, this is Charles. If I can share. Um, Please do. My holiness. <laughs> thank you. My holiness is my salvation. To me, this lesson speaks to the atmosphere in which I create for my experience. It's teaching my mind about the experience that I desire to have. And I know my atmosphere is created by the feelings that I'm having. And I'm asking my mind to search for those feelings that speaks towards my holiness. And the more I desire my mind to seek for those thoughts and feelings that reflect my holiness, it begins to create an atmosphere in which the experience of that can be experienced and allows me to feel the love and compassion for all other minds who can also do it for themselves as they also establish this lesson in them and we join in unity in creating the atmosphere of holiness in which we can experience together as one so this is to me in the mind training 
of where I want to train my attention to. Because unless I instruct my mind, my mind will instruct me. So am I acting upon or being acted upon by my mind? So the Course is helping me to take charge of my mind again by letting the mind know what I desire for my atmosphere to be producing through my feelings. Not so much through my thoughts, but through my feelings. Because me, feelings is atmosphere. Thoughts are just the different keynotes about how I'm feeling. So my true thoughts come from my true feelings. And God is my true feelings. Well, thank you. That's what my lesson for me today is. My holiness is my salvation. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Charles. Good Good to hear from you today. And you, thank you. Okay, well, I would like to um, thank everyone for reading and sharing and joining this call and and um, reaching deep within and and um, helping to elucidate the one mind we all share. Um, I think to end this recording this morning um, from this very chapter, uh, we'll probably read this on Monday, where it gives us this, your mind and mine can unite in shining your ego away and releasing the strength of God into everything you think and will and do. Do not settle for anything less than this and refuse to accept anything but this as your goal. Watch your minds carefully for any beliefs that hinder its accomplishment and just step away from them. Judge how well you've done this by your own feelings, for this is the one right use of judgment. Judgment, like any other defense, can be used to attack or protect, to hurt or to heal. The ego should be brought to your judgment and found wanting there. Without your own allegiance, protection, and love, it cannot exist. Judge your ego truly, and you must withdraw allegiance, protection, and love from it. You are mirrors of truth in which God himself shines in perfect light. My holiness is my salvation. Amen. Thank you, everyone. it's been just a really great call today. So I'll end the recording, but um, as is typical, we stay and, and share more.